Let me introduce you to the most important players in today's event. I'm a conservative and a proud Kentuckian. Mr. President, you will not fill this Supreme Court vacancy. It's about issues we worry about every single night. This is one of the most awesome scenes that you can find in politics in this country. All right, everyone, welcome back into today's episode of the Pegasus Podcast. Um, I am very excited about today's guest uh, because, as some of you may know, both myself and then our executive director, Josh, have been involved with a program called Young Voices. You may have seen Josh published in different places and appearing on different television stations from this program. Uh, And so today we are welcoming our first contributor from the Young Voices program, Amanda Griffiths, who is a PhD student. You've also, uh, are currently a PhD student, so you've, you've done some work in the past, both with the Cato Institute, and of course, uh, for a little while now, been a contributor with Young Voices. So Amanda, welcome to the Pegasus Podcast as our first Young Voices contributor. Thank you so much for having me on, Jared. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So I, I, I wanted to have Amanda on, not just because she's a part of a program that I am really excited about and will sing the praises of, but you wrote a really interesting op-ed uh, last month in July. Uh, I want to bring the title up here so people can check it out, called Biden Inches Towards the Right, <clears throat> excuse me, Biden Inches Towards the Right Move on Tariffs for the Wrong Reasons. This is was a really interesting piece for me, kind of for, for two reasons. One, the tariffs issue is still going on, but yet we haven't really heard people talking about it, uh, really since since Trump left office. Um, and then second, it, you talk a lot about the, the sort of China problem, right, that politicians on both the kind of left and the right talk sort of, you know, in grandiose terms about, but never really talk in much detail about what is the China problem, how do we deal with it, what exactly is the threat of China, why are they a threat. Um, And so so I want to start, Amanda, first, what was sort of your impetus for writing this piece? Because, again, this isn't something that's sort of on the bottom scroll at CNN right now. It's not, you know, uh, the the most talked about thing in the opinion sections of newspapers. So why did you want to dive into this tariffs issue? Well, I wanted to dive into it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think we keep returning to tariffs on both uh, both the left and the right for different reasons. But we keep returning to tariffs as a form of either penalizing a country or as really a form of central planning here, right? I mean, a tariff is basically a way to say, I think that consumers should be buying this many of this good from the U.S. and uh, industrial policy should take this course in our country. And in both respects, uh, it's been really ineffective, but it's been a way of avoiding taking action on things that would actually improve the economy. And if we want to talk about the Chinese Communist Party, on things that would put pressure on the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so I, I was looking at it in a really holistic way, understanding that President Biden and his administration, and they continue to, to dither on this even now, um, continue to talk about rolling back this tiny little tranche of, of tariffs that President Trump imposed during the, the trade war with China. I wanted to take a deeper look at it and ask, is this really going to help inflation, which is the you know, putative reason why this is being considered? And is this really a bad idea if we take away these tariffs? Would it actually 
alleviate some pressure on the CCP that's been generally salutary. And unfortunately, in trying to find the answer to both those questions, I realized, no, it won't help inflation to alleviate the tariffs, but it also uh, won't really, they haven't been effective uh, at, at applying pressure against the CCP either. Yeah, it's sort of this interesting, I mean, to President Biden's credit, he's at least publicly said, you know, we're going to do everything we can to to bring down inflation, right? Um, Now, of course, they they probably haven't, and they continue to make some of the same mistakes that that sort of led to uh, this, you know, 40-year record-breaking inflation. But the tariffs thing to me is is partly this kind of no-brainer. There's only... uh, Maybe I mean I don't even know if you could find an economist out there who would say that these work or that they are you know uh, provide a sort of benefit even to that that kind of populist base sometimes that they they sort of play to. To me, it's almost like a no brainer. Like, yeah, of course these haven't worked. The the retaliatory tariffs from a lot of these countries, whether it be the European Union or or China, uh, are making things worse for American consumers. I'll, I have to give a. Specific shout out to the uh, the Kentucky bourbon industry. You know, fans of whiskey know that prices have gone up a little bit here uh, because of retaliatory tariffs. So things have been harder to sell in the the EU, and thus they they raise prices at home. I mean, why has the Biden administration been sort of kind of tepid on you know removing all of these or being more aggressive in removing all these tariffs? Unfortunately, Jared, the the short answer is union pressure. Uh, Tariffs, you said that they don't help a lot of people, and that's true. The only people that tariffs will help, and for maybe a short period of time in a very small area of their lives, are people who are in the unions that are directly affected by tariffs. Steel would be a perfect example, right? We've got this 25% tariff on steel and on foreign steel. And, well, that really helps the steelworkers union in that one tiny respect, right? But for everyone else, it makes things so much worse, especially during a time when there's higher consumer demand across the board. Because now, not only is the supply artificially curtailed, what tariffs are not doing is they're not making prices any lower here. They're just making things more expensive if they're coming from somewhere else. So what's happening now is any manufacturer who wants to create something that has steel in it, and that's a lot of manufacturers, are having to pay more. Consumers then are bearing the burden of that because they have to pay more. The sticker price goes up. And yes, the steel workers union is maybe benefited in that tiny little space, but they're also paying more. For, for their goods. You know, workers are consumers as well. So uh, the, the short answer is that there is union pressure that is really just making it very difficult for Democrats to be clear-eyed and do the right thing on tariffs. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned in the piece that there's, you know, sort of two things can be true, right? That tariffs don't work, but that China is bad, right? Like, I think there's just sort of this, like, uh, reflexive nature of like we have to do something so let's hit like the low-hanging fruit here and tariffs tend to be that like really kind of easy low-hanging fruit where people are like oh we're, we're going after the bully I, I used to tell people like it's the equivalent of like looking at the bully but like punching your friend in the face and assuming like <laughs> somehow that that is going to you know like signal to like the bad guy like we're we're, we're gonna do something whether it's gonna impact you or not you know like 
Who cares? I mean, doesn't it feel like that sort of like, we just need to do something. Let's hit the low hanging fruit. This is kind of easy. And there's this like, kind of like populist group that enjoys them. It is absolutely the do something principle. You know, the government should do something. This is something the government should do it. And again, it's, it's, sound and fury, right? If we want to look at this on the right, too, because we're talking about this from the left, we want to talk about this from the right. Yeah, it looks punitive, right? It looks like, yeah, we're taking a a big, strong action against the CCP in this case. Um, But the fact is, it allows us to avoid really doing the hard work and saying, okay, what would actually make, A, American businesses more competitive? And B, what would really address some of the issues that we're seeing from the CCP, the way that they're abusing the global trading system? Because obviously these tariffs have not had an effect, have not caused the CCP to to draw back anything that they're doing to harm their people, to abuse the global, global trading system. None of that. So, yeah, it's one of those things that on both the left and the right, in the immediate sense, it, it looks like something that the president can immediately do, but it doesn't, it doesn't alleviate sticker prices on goods, and it also doesn't, uh, doesn't help level the playing field in the international arena. Yeah. So I've had a couple people on the podcast in, in the last couple of months or so who have uh, talked a lot about this kind of competitive advantage that America needs to get back to, right? Like, it, it's so cliche, but one of the greatest benefits that America has is its sort of capitalist free market system that breeds innovation, that has this sort of creative destructive model that allows us to not and – and I've made this joke before that like the Made in America sticker is great, but that also means that there's a certain level of accountability and privacy and protection that comes with that product, right? Uh, you mentioned in the piece – and. This is the only time I'll ever mention TikTok on the podcast. But, uh, I mean, a massive, massive, you know, internet user base where, you know, people's privacy and personal data are being abused because, you know, the the company or essentially the government running this app has no respect for privacy. And so things being built in America or sort of having that made in America type uh, edge to them allows us to know that there's a certain level of, of accountability there more than just you got the little sticker with the American flag on the bottom of it or whatever you, you know, whatever the jacket or whatever it is that you've made. Can, can you talk a little bit about the importance of that sort of American competitive edge and what we can do to kind of get back to that? Absolutely. And I was actually just listening, you know, you, you have had a lot of uh, people on, on the podcast recently. I think Doug Kelly was recently mm-hmm. talking about this with you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue that we don't need to subsidize industries here to solve this issue. Uh, this is something, in fact, that, yes, the CCP does. They subsidize their preferred industries to try and give them a leg up. But that's really more life support than anything else. That's not actually helping them and stoking their economy. So the Made in America issue is very important. The way to make it more attractive to make things in America is to remove some of these regulatory barriers that make it prohibitively costly, uh, you know, 
impose all these prohibitive liabilities. Um, and in the article, I discuss the rare earth metal industry. It's one of my kind of wonky, <laughs> I keep on, I keep on going back to it because it's such a great example. Um, in 1980, uh, the U S had 99% of the market share or market cornered on rare earth manufacturing for people who don't know rare earth metals are what power the batteries in electric vehicles for instance a lot of our green tech just a lot of our normal tech that we use every day and uh, these rare earth metals are very abundant in the u.s we have had mining operations we know how to do it we've been doing it for ages and then in 1980 there were some um uh, atomic energy association regulations that were rewritten basically to in the process make rare earth byproducts hazardous materials this is one of those things where you're kind of writing regulations and some some baby gets thrown out with the bathwater kind of thing it became again prohibitively costly all of these licensing restrictions and requirements it became too risky in terms of liability for businesses in America to keep sourcing and mining rare earths. So what ended up happening is we completely flipped the statistic where now uh, CCP-backed industries own 99, more than 99% of rare earth manufacturing. And so this is an issue where if we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, for instance, uh, where we want to have more green tech, we want to have more electric vehicles and all of that. This is an issue where we should be saying, what are the regulations that are keeping people from making things in America? Not what are the subsidies that we need to impose to get things to be made in America? That's that's again, that's a Band-Aid. That's not actually addressing the problem. The problem is the regulatory red tape. So this this is one of those issues that it's harder. It's harder for policymakers to dust off the books and say, where did we go wrong? But in the long run, that's what's going to stoke the economy, uh, you know, not not regulation and not artificial central planning. Yeah, it's sort of it's almost like the, the cliche kind of like point back to. But I mean, I think like conservatives and those on the right still have these like uh like nightmares about like Solyndra and this like idea that like oh we just picked this perfect you know company and it's going to do everything we like and if we just give it enough money it'll be successful right like I, I think of that sort of like tying into the the tariff conversation that like you can't artificially you know embolden the industries or companies that you think are going to be successful right like the best thing that the government can do most of the time is just get itself out of the way of these companies being successful. And, you know, whether we're talking about tariffs or, you know, in the case of, of some of like the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, pumping millions or in some cases billions of dollars into one industry, it could be successful. I mean, there's a chance, right? Like any any investor could be successful. But Again, the, the problem is is you don't really know the, the effects that you're having on other parts of the economy, right? Like, where are you losing investment then? Where is the sort of negative impact of the inflationary or the, the, the taxation or the overregulation, right? Like, it, it's so clear to me, both with tariffs or, or you know, name the, the sort of government band-aid or central planning, that sometimes it's just best for them to kind of get out of the way 
And again, like getting back to the, the tariffs thing, why the Biden administration can't just kind of get itself out of the way here is really is really sort of puzzling to me, uh, especially when, gosh, if I was if I was Biden, I'd want to do do away with everything that, that has sort of Trump's name or affiliation to it, too. Right. Like that's it's such a strange thing to me that they continue to push these tariffs simply because it's like China bad, us good. Exactly, exactly. And again, tariffs and subsidies, they're really two sides of the same coin. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you brought that up as well with, with Chips Act. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those issues where I also don't want to I don't want to oversell what the Biden administration is talking about doing with the tariffs. And they keep on talking about doing this and not taking any action on it. Uh, but we're talking about this tiny little slice of the Section 301 tariffs that the Trump administration imposed. So even if President Biden and his administration were to do the right thing here and take away these tariffs that, in this case, mainly affect consumer goods like bicycles, again, this is kind of point of purchase stuff. The intent is to have consumers say, oh, that bicycle costs less. Well, the problem is you're not making, you're not removing any of the tariffs on the manufacturers. You're not, when there's consumer demand that's this high, it's not going to have an effect anyhow on the sticker price. But let's say that it does on bicycles, on consumer goods. That's not what's driving inflation right now. And so we, again, we're talking about $10 billion, a huge, huge tariff package. It's not going to have any effect what we're talking about here. And inflation being the highest on gas, food, and lodging, you know, as long as fuel prices are where they are, inflation is going to be high across the board. So, again, it's important not to oversell even this little consideration that uh, or little concession that the administration is considering. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit before we finish up. Uh, I, I open this by sort of saying that I think there's a there's a large portion, probably of the American population, frankly, that just sort of thinks like China bad, and for whatever reason they may have, right? Like they may think like the products they get from there break very easily, or that they're actually some large, you know, economic truce, like the true large economic threat to the United States. Um, but you, you talk a lot about in in the piece. Why China and specifically the the Chinese Communist Party is actually bad. I mean, it is truly a threat, right? Like it's not just this like boogeyman that we can blame for everything or point to as uh, the reasoning. Like China bad, so we have to spend seven hundred forty billion dollars, right? It's like well, that doesn't really add up, but okay. Can you talk a little bit about the threat that is China? And I think from a perspective of you know tariffs aren't going to work and clearly haven't worked to quell their bad behaviors uh, and some of these other, you know, Band-Aid type fixes. What are some of the real threats from the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And it's important always to distinguish the Chinese Communist Party claim to represent the people of China. They do not. Uh, The problem with the Chinese Communist Party uh, is that, first of all, they are not playing by the World Trade Organization's rules. Uh, They are claiming that China is a developing country. And and you can self-declare as a developing country. 
uh, with the WTO. What this allows you to do is it allows you to skirt certain rules that the WTO has for established countries. Like there are limits on the effect to which or the extent to which governments can meddle in certain industries. When you have a when you're a developing country, you are able to give a little bit of extra support to certain industries. So the CCP does this with some of their preferred industries to, again, artificially give them a leg up on the global market. We're talking about subsidies. We're talking about a lot of oversight. We're talking about a lot of heavy handed regulation, all of that. So that's one issue. Second issue would be state sponsored intellectual property theft. This has only increase. This is only getting worse and worse. Uh, in May, there was this uh, U.S. security firm called Cyber Reason. They issued a report uh, saying that there are these uh, CCP-supported hackers that are able to take and, and have been taking trillions of dollars in intellectual property from multinational corporations, defense and pharmaceuticals and energy, uh, including the U.S. military and tech. And that's ongoing. That cyber theft campaign is ongoing. And then, yes, you brought up TikTok. I've never done so much research on TikTok <laughs> before this article. And I, you know, <laughs> didn't think I would be doing so much. Um, but yes, so there's uh, there is a report from BuzzFeed saying that ByteDance, which is uh, TikTok's parent company, Company. Uh, China-based employees in ByteDance have been able to access non-public data about U.S. TikTok users. Why is that important? Why do we care if a 14-year-old's you know, data are being accessed, except for that it's a little creepy? <laughs> well, the problem is that because of that heavy hand that the CCP has in tech companies, they, if, if, if Chinese tech companies can see your private data. This Chinese Communist Party can see your private data. That's concerning because the TikTok algorithm, they can decide what to show you. They can decide what to make you look at, especially if you're using TikTok for news, if you're using TikTok for information. That's a big deal. Uh, so these are some of the major threats that we're seeing from China in the tech space, in the IP space, and yes, in the trade space as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, I you know like I I I find myself struggling sometimes because I think I you know there's a lot of us on on the right, and I would say maybe even closer to the kind of like libertarian right who have this like uh, rejection of of any of these sort of central planning uh, or more populist type. Uh, policy solutions to say like look we get that what they're doing is bad we just don't think you're necessarily doing anything to impact them and and i hear from people all the time it's like well then what should we do what you know like what what can we do to either help or hurt uh, uh to hurt china or to sort of like help the united states fight them and my answer has always been like well like look elsewhere right like this is why tr like open and free trade with other countries and embracing uh, you know, other countries and expanding our reach is beneficial because then you're not so reliant on China, right? I mean, look to find the next TikTok and or, or build the next TikTok in America or just get off TikTok, everybody, frankly. I mean, maybe all social media get off of, but it, it's not the sexy answer, right? To say like, well, just kind of like let the market decide. Like, let's not just sort of, sort of solely focus here on on one country 
uh, and, and like one market, like don't monopolize the market. Like it's not the sexiest answer. And so it's sometimes tough to sort of point to a solution that's just like, again, sort of get the government out of the way. Uh, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on the people who sort of say, well, we have to do something. Like you just laid out all these reasons why China is bad. We have to do something. What do you sort of think when you hear that? Well, we, we do need to do something. I, I, and I like your answer. I don't think it's a nothing. I don't think it's just get the government out of the way and back off. There are things that, like we were talking about earlier with the rare earths, we need to be actively rewriting some of these rules to make America more competitive and to reintroduce our competitive advantage. Uh, we also need to be fortifying our own cyber infrastructure. If we've got IP theft, which is a huge problem, we need to make sure that we have a good cyber defense. Uh, and there's the issue with all that clean energy tech that is being manufactured in China right now. We should also point out that China doesn't have the admissions in emission standards that we do. China is the number one emitter of CO2 on the planet. So we need to be manufacturing clean energy tech in, in countries that we feel are abiding by appropriate parameters. Let's take a look at this uh, developing country thing, right? Mm. Well, we have this idea that if the Chinese Communist Party just sees how great liberalization is, they'll liberalize. Well, maybe that's true. But the problem is that we're allowing the Chinese Communist Party to reap the benefits of a liberal trading system without actually bringing liberalization to their people because they're allowed to skirt these rules that apply to liberal countries. Uh, and so that needs to be something that we do. That can be something that we do directly uh, in line with the WTO. We have to say this is what constitutes a developing country. And I'm sorry, with the economy that that china has with the gdp that china has with the growth that china's seen china is not a developing country so you want to reap the benefits of the liberal economy great you have to play by the rules of the liberal economy and the liberal trading system yeah the the there's really a beautiful irony in being the number one co2 emitter and claiming you're a developing country it's 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 truly amazing now there, there are certainly developing countries that are sort of going through an industrial revolution to some degree uh, and thus are, are admitting more than they would have, uh, you know, right? The, the United States has the benefit of being a developed country and thus can can kind of uh, curtail some of these admissions because we don't have people starving in the streets. We have an abundance <laughs> of, of, uh, of, of most things, frankly, but... Uh, the, the irony there is 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 really beautiful that they're developing yet they're essentially the largest uh, manufacturers in the world. Um, yeah. Again, we are talking with Amanda Griffiths. She is the author of a recent op-ed called "Biden Inches Towards the Right Move on Tariffs for the Wrong Reasons." Amanda, I want to give you the final word on this. Uh, I started by sort of saying that this is this is not something a lot of people are talking about. Frankly, it's not. Again, like the bottom ticker on. CNN or MSNBC right now, but it's obviously a huge issue, was during the Trump years and will continue until the, the problem's fixed. What would be sort of your, your final thoughts for people who want to get this figured out, but also want to hold China accountable? My final thoughts are, again, what we've talked about. It starts here. It starts with dusting off some of those regulatory books, removing that red tape. And we have that. We have the resources. 
we have a liberal economy and we should be maximizing it and using it at the same time. We need to make sure that our trading partners are playing by the rules of liberal economy and bringing those benefits to their people, not distributing the benefits for themselves. There are solutions here, and these are solutions that we can lead on. And I really think that the current administration has the opportunity to do that if they take advantage of it. Perfect. Amanda, thank you again for joining us today on the Pegasus Podcast. Thank you so much, Jared. It's been a blast. Pegasus Podcast is brought to you by Bluegrass Media Lab and Pegasus Institute. If you like what you heard, share it with a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. To learn more about our work on improving the lives of all Kentuckians, visit PegasusKentucky.org.